Most parents spend significant time on choosing a name for their child. Names in the Bible were even more significant than what we would even consider them to be today. In, in the Old Testament, a name stood for a person's reputation, their, their fame, if you will, or their, their glory. And parents often gave names to their children uh, that described their hopes for this child or their, their future expectations for this child. When you hear some of these names, you wonder what were they hoping for or expecting. Uh, uh, a study of the Bible names tells us so much about the personality of the person bearing that name. And, uh, David means beloved, right? He was a man, out, yeah, all the Davids are like, yeah, right? Uh, uh, but here is a, a man who is called a man after God's own heart, beloved of God. Abraham is a, a father of a multitude. Yeah, a father of a multitude is accurate. Jacob is deceiver. Study the life of Jacob. I always love it when the Bible says, calls, you know, God the God of Jacob, you know, because Jacob was a deceiver, a supplanter, and yet God still loved that guy and worked with that guy. Isaac implies laughter. Do that study. Moses drawn out, of course, out of the Nile. Uh, and Jesus is Jehovah, means Jehovah saves. All of these people prove true to their names, and tonight as we start this series, He Shall Be Called, we're going to focus in on the fourfold name of Jesus that are given, is given, here in this original birth announcement of Jesus Christ. You could say this is the original, I know you can go all the way back to Genesis and it's throughout, but, but uh, here we find this name, these names given to Jesus 700 years before his birth. And what we're going to learn is that Jesus is indescribably unique. So grab your Bible, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. We're going to look at these first five verses just very briefly, just to set the context of, of verse number 6. In verse number 1, <coughs> Isaiah says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. What in the world, Pastor Dave, is that talking about? Well, Isaiah is reminding God's people of the special relationship that they had with God. And while they are about to get trounced on, while, while Assyria is about to, to, to come and defeat them, it is all in God's plan and purpose because they were far from him. They had, they were, we just studied this as we came through uh, the book of Amos and Daniel, right? Uh, what, what set all of those uh, events up. But here for, for many years, the people in Galilee only knew grief because of the onslaught of their enemies that God had brought upon them due to their sin. In verses 2 and 3, it describes how the birth of Christ would bring this brightness to the world, their world of despair and darkness. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and a light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Verses 4 and 5 described how the break, the, this breaking of an oppressive yoke by the Messiah. Look at verse 4. For you've shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. So you, you kind of get the picture. There's gloom and there's doom. And yet what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah is there's good times coming. There's a light coming. The yoke, the oppressive yoke of your enemies is going to be broken. And with that context, let's go on to our text, verse 6. For a child will be born, a son will be given. A child will be born, a son will be given. The child born reminds us of what? It reminds us of his humanity. It reminds us that Jesus Christ was truly man. 
It also says, not only a child will be born, but a son will be given. The son reminds us of his deity. It confirms to us that he was truly God. So here is Jesus Christ, completely unique of all the other humans ever born on earth. He's truly man. He's 100% man, and he is truly God, 100% God. And look what it says. He'll be, this child will be born. The son will be given. Do you see what it says there? For who? For us. For us. Well, that tells us something. That tells us that Jesus Christ came into this world, not for himself. He came into this world for us. For you and for me. Remember that this Christmas. Remember that as you celebrate Christmas. He came for us. And the government, it says, Isaiah says here, the government will be on his shoulders. And it's basically describing that this, this baby nestled on, on Mary's shoulder will shoulder the government, will shoulder rule. He will be a, a ruler. He will be one who is the ruler of all. We come to this phrase then, he will be named. And that could be, you know, that could be translated literally, he will justly bear this name. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Tonight, as you see on the screen, we're going to focus in on the first name, wonderful counselor. Now, the, the word, the Hebrew word here for wonderful is significant because it's much weightier than <coughs> we tend to use in everyday conversation. Uh, do you find that you use the word wonderful, you know, maybe more often, almost watering it down? We had, I remember when I was in college in Tennessee, there was this guy that was on staff, and he would often give the announcements in, in church, and he used the word wonderful. He had to use it like 10 times every time he, every time he did the announcement. It was almost like a joke among the student body. And, but what happens when you use the word over and over and over again? It kind of loses its meaning. It kind of waters the thing down. Well, understand something. In Hebrew, this word wonderful, it means astonishing. It means incomprehensible. It, it literally means, you know, extraordinary. It, it refers to something that is uh, uh, exclusively beyond the realm of humanity. Uh, most of the times that this word is used in the Old Testament, it refers to God. It refers to his work. Something that we as humans can't do. Something that we as humans can't at times even understand. Uh, the late Adrian Rogers, a pastor, uh, told a story about a pastor who was on a train uh, and noticed uh, as they're traveling this man looking out the window and they're passing the landscape. And as they're passing the, the landscape, this man kept saying, wonderful, wonderful. He'd pause. He'd wipe the tears from his eyes and he would say, oh man, this is, this is wonderful. The pastor was curious, and he goes over, and he sits next to this man, and he says, you know, I've, it's beautiful, I, I, but I've never seen someone enjoy a train ride quite the same way. And the man said, sir, you, you don't understand. He said, I've just had surgery. I've been without my sight for years and years and years and years, and I am seeing things that I forgot. I forgot how blue the skies were. I forgot how gr green the grass was. I forgot how beautiful the trees are, how bright the flowers are. He said, it's wonderful, wonderful. You know what I pray tonight? I pray that God will open our eyes to see how wonderful Jesus is. The wonderful counselor. How wonderful his counsel is. You see, Jesus is wonderful in a way that is boggling to the mind. Everything about Jesus is wonderful. His birth, right? 
Think about how supernatural, how, how extraordinary his birth was. His birth, his life, his works, his words, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his intercession for us, his coming again. I mean, literally, you take every aspect of the life of Jesus and you can say, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. In our text here, wonderful is connected to the word, as you see on the screen, the word counselor. And in its historical usage, counselor pictures a king giving counsel to his people, like Solomon, right? Solomon, this wise, grandiose king, you know, counseling his people, giving the Proverbs, his wisdom to the people. And, And here what's going on is long before the Christ child was born, Before the son was given, Isaiah foretold that God was planning to send a counselor for the brokenhearted people of the world, the people who are in darkness. And here's tonight's big idea of the message. Simply this, simply this. Jesus is only, the only one perfectly qualified to guide your life. Jesus is the only one perfectly qualified to guide your life. Years ago, Billy Burke, famous actress. Does anybody recognize that name? This is going back a couple, a few years. She was on a, uh, on a transatlantic ocean liner. She noticed a man sitting at the next table, suffering from a bad cold. And she uh, asked him sympathy, are you uncomfortable? And he nodded. She said, I'll tell you just what to do for that. She said, go back to your room and drink lots of orange juice. Take two aspirins. Cover yourself with a lot of blankets, all the blankets you can find. Sweat the cold out. She said, I know just what I'm talking about. I'm Billy Burke from Hollywood. The man smiled warmly and introduced himself in return and said, thanks, I'm Dr. Mayo of the Mayo Clinic. (laughs) Life is filled with disasters. Life is filled with details and decisions, right? You think about all that comes at us in life and a lot of people will offer their advice like Billy Burke. There's a lot of people offering free advice out there. You can, maybe it's you and Google. You can find all the answers to all those problems, all that complication in your life. But I can tell you this, most of the advice we get is completely unqualified. Jesus stands ready to guide your life if you're ready to follow him. He's ready, if you're ready to follow him. So tonight, I want to show you, first of all, the exceptionality of the wonderful counselor. The exceptionality. You see, Jesus Christ is the wisest person to ever live. You've read the Proverbs. You've seen the wisdom of of Solomon, the wisest uh, man to ever walk the face of this earth other than the person of Jesus Christ. In chapter 11, if you want to turn over there, you can look at verses 1 and 2 because Isaiah, again, speaks of our counselor describing this this shoot, this shoot that would come out of the stump of Jesse. Then in the very next verse, Isaiah says that he will have the spirit of counsel and strength. 700 years later, as a child of 12, do you remember this? Jesus astounded the Jewish rabbis in, in all his wisdom. They are blown away. This 12-year-old kid, where, where's, this, where, where's this coming from? He's a, he's a boy. Wasn't schooled in their higher education classes. Luke recorded later that the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. In his public life, people were amazed at his wise counsel. In fact, in Matthew 13, they said this when, uh, it says this, when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom 
and these mighty works. The people of his day, they were shocked. They were astonished. This is, this is the word wonderful. This is what it means, right? He's the wonderful counselor, and they're standing there. They're seeing this. The wonderful counselor is right in front of their eyes, and they are astonished. Later, the apostle Paul wrote that he is the image of the invisible God. This is Colossians 1 and 2. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head. In everything, he has supremacy. And he says this in Colossians 2, 3, in him are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Church, Jesus is the source of all wisdom. Jesus is the ultimate counselor who needs no counselors. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Have you ever tried to counsel God? Come on, I've tried. It's futile. It's an exercise in futility. Try to, try to explain it to God, right? So he sees it from our vantage point. Listen. God's never needed a counselor, no, no human being. There is no being in all the universe who's ever counseled God. Imagine the realm of everything Jesus Christ knows. Think about it. it it's impossible to fathom how much Jesus knows about everything, right? Everything of everybody, right? Jesus knows everything there is to know about you and you and you and you and you and, and all of us. And all the people driving by on the road right now and all the people at the end of the road who live up in the neighborhood, I mean like he knows what's going on everywhere all the time and he knows every intricate detail about our lives. He knows how many hairs I have on my head and I'm giving them a break. You know, I'm, mine are falling out, but some of you, shoo, that's a lot of hair to keep track of. He knows how many hairs are on the heads of every human being, all eight billion of us. Is it eight billion? I think it's eight billion now, right? Yeah. Uh, living on planet Earth. And then he knows the name of every star. If you looked up in the sky at night, we were up camping with some guys, you know, a couple weeks ago. Some guys from church had a ball, and we were up there in the middle of nowhere. And when, that, when it was dark, man, you could see the stars, like the stars that you don't get to see all the time living down here in the valley. And Jesus, he's got them all named. He knows where every one of them is, and he knows exactly what their name is. He knows every grain of sand. He knows our uprising, our, our down, uh, you know, uh, sitting, I guess it would be. I mean, he knows every single thing. And that's just some of the facts that he knows. We think we're smart, but not one of us, created in his image and designed to reflect him to the world around us, can contain even a fair-sized fraction of all that he knows. And when you take it all in, all that we know about Christ, it adds up to this marvelous truth that he is the God who is the wonderful counselor. Have you ever been to a counselor? Maybe a therapist, maybe a psychiatrist. What, what would you say would, what would you say makes a good counselor? <coughs> Have you ever been to a, a counselor that was just awful? <coughs> I'm going to get my water. I got one right here. Thanks, John. What, may, what, what makes, what are some, some attributes of a good counselor? When you're in need, right, you, you want to go to, to someone who, who's available, someone who gives you their undivided attention, someone who's able to provide comfort while remaining confidential, someone that can tell us the truth about ourselves while giving us what we need to make changes. I guess, in short, 
what we want is someone who has empathy, expertise, and experience. Well, you know that Jesus checks all those boxes? As the wonderful counselor, Jesus, he's always available. 24-7. He doesn't take holidays. He never, the Bible says, he never sleeps or slumbers. He's never too busy for you. Not only is he always available, but he also gives you his undivided attention. Have you ever, we all have, you've been talking to someone, they have other things on their mind, right? Jonathan, when he was a lot younger, he he would be trying to talk to me and he would say things, I don't know if you remember this, John, but he would say, Earth to dad. <laughs> you ever saying that, John? Earth, earth to dad. Like, tune in. Hey, trying to get your, uh, your attention over here. I only have the ability to give my attention to one thing at a time. I'm a man, right? I mean, just very, very tunnel focused. Jesus doesn't get distracted. Jesus can give each and every one of us undivided attention. So he gives us his attention. He also provides us with free advice, right? Some counselors only care about you if you're paying the fee. <laughs> make, make sure you give the check to the receptionist at the door. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He's, there's, no, there's no fee attached, if you will. He also, when we think about Jesus as our counselor, he completely understands you. He, he understands the human soul. He understands the, the human psyche better than anyone else. Why? Because he knows everything about, about everyone. John chapter 2 tells us that, that Jesus did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He understands us through and through. How is that? Well, first of all, he's our creator. He's the one who fashioned and made the first man. He is the one who made man, to our bodies, our minds, to work in the way that they do. And so as our creator, he understands us. As the, the incarnate son of God, he understands us. Hebrews says this, that he was tempted in every way like we are. He understands what it means to, to have struggles as far as temptation. He knows what that's all about. He also understands us completely as our redeemer. He never sinned. He conquered sin and death and Satan by rising from the dead. He knows how sin is overcome. In fact, he's able to help us overcome that sin. And then he, he also completely understands us as the ever-living present spirit of Christ who's with us now, who lives and abides within you. Jesus completely understands you. He gets you. We often become self-reliant and assume that we can figure out our lives by, by research and the advice of others. But so often what happens is we start on plan A and we end up, you know, plan Z somewhere. We're trying to, to navigate, trying to figure it all out. But what we need... We, Church, we just need to come to the realization that Jesus understands us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what our problems are. He knows what our pains are. He was acquainted with grief, it tells us. He knows how to suffer. He knows what it is to suffer. And so he always knows what we're going through, and he always knows the right course of action. We also recognizes our wonderful counselor that he unconditionally loves you. He completely has your best interests in mind. He loves you like nobody has ever loved you. Take the love of a, of a parent, a, a mother. Take, a, take the love of a, a spouse. Jesus, his love, you can multiply it by infinity, right? I mean, he loves us unconditionally and then when we think about Jesus as the wonderful counselor I guess also that we have to understand that he always has the right answer whatever it is you're dealing with 
Whatever your question is, whatever, whatever you're dealing with in life, Jesus always has the right answer. Uh, Alan Perkins said this. He said, it's here on the screen, so you can follow along if you'd like to. He said, when the scriptures refer to Jesus as a wonderful counselor, it doesn't mean that he's good at giving advice. It means that he understands things which are beyond the ability of our finite minds to comprehend. He knows things which only God can know. He knows the ways of God. He understands God's plans and purposes. His knowledge and intelligence and wisdom and insight far exceed that of any man who has ever lived. So in Jesus Christ, <coughs> we have someone who by virtue of his great knowledge and understanding is abundantly qualified to guide and direct our lives. Do you see that? Do you believe that? He is abundantly qualified to guide and direct our lives. Someone who is never confused or mistaken, someone who always knows exactly what to do, someone who will never lead us astray. Church, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He's the one and only perfect soul doctor. Even good counselors cannot claim perfection. Jesus, he's exceptional as a wonderful counselor. Number two, I want you to see the excellency of his wonderful counsel. Okay? Uh, here's the truth. Jesus only speaks truth, and he does so in love. He only speaks truth, right? Wonderful describes, if it describes Jesus, it also then describes what Jesus does, how he does it, right? His, if he's the wonderful counselor, his counsel must thereby be wonderful, beyond the normal, extraordinary, supernatural, therefore well worth listening to and absolutely worthy of living by. So if you want the best advice that you can get, go to the wonderful counselor, pay attention to Christ's advice. Let me give you some thoughts about this. First of all, his counsel is procurable. What does that mean? It means you can get it. You can obtain the counsel of Jesus. He offers his counsel. You just need to tune in. We just have to tune in. He said this, he who has ears, what? Let him hear. The counsel's available. Just got to tune in. You just have to, you have to listen. You don't have to wander around in the dark. If you seek him, you will find him. Now listen, he's not going to force it down your throat. Read through the Gospels. He didn't force the truth down anybody's throat. He would, he would speak the truth, and he did so in love, and sometimes it made people mad, and they walked away from him. Right? There was a time where it says that, that many of the disciples stopped following him. Not the, not the 12, but others who followed him. They stopped, they stopped following him because of some of the things he was talking about. Some of the counsel he was given. Some of the wisdom that was coming from his mouth. They didn't like what he was saying, so they walked away from him. He's not going to force it down your throat. He's not going to make you listen. And I think what we have to be aware of is if our heart has grown callous. Because what happens if our heart grows callous, Matthew 13, 14, and 15 tells us we grow hard of hearing. This is what happens. When our heart goes cold, we stop listening. We stop listening. All the counsel of the wonderful counselor is readily available, but when our heart is cold, it's as if he's not even talking. We're not tuned in. We're not receiving it. Think about what that's like. To have access to the greatest counsel and wisdom in all the universe and simply to ignore it. How much of the world lives this way? How, how much of Christianity today, how, do we live like this? His counsel is procurable. You can obtain it. Secondly, his counsel is reliable. That means you can believe it. 
Every, what he says. You can completely trust his counselor. Jesus said this in John 18, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. He said, all who love the truth recognize what I say is true. Now listen, sometimes Jesus says things that we don't want to hear, but it will always be what we need to hear. Amen? Sometimes the, hard, the truth is hard to hear. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it, we, we just don't want to hear the truth. But unlike <coughs> human counselors, Jesus, the wonderful counselor, he's never going to back off the truth. He's never going to somehow you know, twist the message enough to where we feel better about ourselves while missing the truth. You, you see? To Jesus, the truth is more important than how we feel. The truth is more important than how we feel about the truth. Our, our, the truth is more important than how we feel about ourselves or, or, or our circumstance. The truth is what is most important, and we can count on him always telling us the truth. You, he's the counselor. You can always count on guiding you in the right way. So his counsel is reliable. You can believe it. And then third, his counsel is charitable, and that just simply means you can trust it. You can trust it. He truly wants the best for your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Some people read the Bible and they think, man, God is like a total killjoy. <laughs> I mean, like, what gives, man? It's a, Thou shalt not this and that. I mean, all the fun stuff. We can't do it. I mean, all the world's out there. They're having a blast, and God's this big killjoy. Listen, the creator who died for you truly wants the best for your life. Have you accepted that? Have you believed that to be true? Or have you bought into one of Satan's lies that there's something better than what Jesus is offering? His love isn't just talk. He proved it on the cross, right? John 15, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for, life for his friends. You see, you can trust Jesus he put his life on the line. He laid down his life for you, right? Can you trust somebody who went to a cross for you? <laughs> if you can't trust Jesus, there ain't anybody you can trust. His counsel's terrible. You can trust it. And then his counsel is transformational, and that means that you can experience it. Jesus says this, the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. His words provide spiritual life. When we listen to his words and we do his words, it, it gives us abundant life. It helps us in life live out the fullness of what God intends for our life. So, so church, Jesus is able to guide you. He's able to encourage you. He's able to teach you how to walk through life victoriously but he doesn't just give counsel you know what he does he pours into us the power for a successful resolution of our problems he gives us the ability then to live it out to follow through he just doesn't tell us what to do he helps us do it he's the wonderful counselor one of my favorite stories there's a man who fell into a pit and he couldn't get himself out. And a Christian scientist came along and said, you only think you're in a pit. A Pharisee came along and he said, only bad people fall into the pit. A fundamentalist came along and said, you deserve the pit. A charismatic came by and said, just confess that you're not in a pit. A social gospel pastor came by and said, we brought you some food and clothing while you're in the pit. Calvinist said, this is no accident. God determined for you to be in the pit. An optimist said things will get better. A pessimist said things are going to get worse. And Jesus came along and grabbed his hand and pulled him out of the pit. Right? Doesn't that just about sum it up, what's going on in our world today? Jesus just wants to get you out of the pit. Have you been in a pit lately? Let Jesus pull you out of it. 
This is his specialty. Why wouldn't you go to him first for counsel and wisdom? Do you seek his wisdom and his counsel, or are you living on your own by what's rattling around in your own head, by what seems right to you? Don't you think it's about time to let Jesus, the counselor, take over your life? And so when we need counsel and advice, our first choice needs to be Jesus Christ. He's the wonderful counselor. Third, we see the expression of his wonderful counselor. And the simple truth is, here, Jesus is still offering counsel. He still is. How does Jesus counsel us today? Would you like to know that? I mean, okay, he's the wonderful counsel, counselor. He's the best. There's no one better. He's all wise. He's all knowing, right? He, he's, the, he's the one to go to. So how does this happen? Does it just happen, you know, telepathically? How does that happen, Pastor Dave? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me give you four ways as we wrap this up. How does Jesus counsel us? The first way is through supplication or prayer. Prayer. To receive counsel... There has to be communication, right? If you've been to a therapist, a counselor, there has to be communication for counsel to be received, right? Two-way communication, right? It's a problem when a counselee resists communicating with the counselor. In fact, this is a quote from, from a therapist. He said, silence is frequently described by professionals as resistance, which can inadvertently establish an adversarial role between the counselee and the counselor. You see what he's saying? Like, if the counselee comes in and sits in the chair and won't say, a peep won't come out of their mouth, that's a problem. There's, they, they've almost become like an adversary. It's almost impossible for a counselor to help a counselee whose mouth is zipped shut. I found that to the degree, the, the degree to which a counselee communicates, like voluntarily, candidly, truthfully, right? I, I've been in the ministry 30 years, and I've counseled a lot of people, and I found that, that, the, that those who voluntarily, freely, and honestly will communicate with you as, a, as a, a counselor, it largely determines the degree to which the counselee is able to be helped by the counselor. Okay, you see where I'm going with this? Prayer is the ultimate way we communicate with God. Through prayer, we're helped by the wonderful counselor. To not pray is simply, it's just another way of refusing the help that the wonderful counselor can bring you. Let me give you a couple verses. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It's here on the screen. Don't worry about anything. Oftentimes people go to a counselor because they're, they're, stru they're stressed, they're struggling. There's, there's something that going on in their life. Maybe there's a lot of anxiety over it. And what does the scripture say? What is the counsel from the, from the wonderful counselor? Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Church, this is profound wisdom right here. Have you experienced this? I think a lot of us have. We've, ex we've, we've literally seen the reality that this is truth. Like, when we go to God and we bring whatever it is that's weighing heavy on us, we bring it to him and we do so with thanksgiving, there is a peace that comes over us that you can't quite explain. Because the circumstances can still be absolutely horrendous and awful and you might still be in the middle of whatever it is you're doing. But yet, there is a peace that the wonderful counselor can bring you and will bring you when you talk to him about it he's still counseling but if you sit there as a counselee and you refuse to talk to him don't expect the peace of God to fill your heart in those moments where you're a wreck when you're feeling stressed and anxious what do you do do you eat 
It's fun. It kind of takes the edge off for a while. Do you crawl up in a ball and hide? Do you vent? You know what Jesus says? Talk to me. Talk to me. When I'm stressed, I'll let you in a little personal thing. When I'm stressed, you know what I like to do? I like to go for a walk. I like to go for a walk. And what I do while I'm walking is, is I like to just pray. I'm out of the house. There's no distractions. And I like to walk and think and pray. What do you do when you are stressed? Find a place. I like to I'll go to the park. I'll walk around the neighborhood. What, what, what do you, where can you go? What can you do to talk to Jesus? Jesus is just telling me what's going on. Ask me for help. Ask me for help. Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> Look what it says. For we do not have a high priest. That's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You see? You see the wonderful counselor? He, symp- he sympathizes with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in every way as we are. You think God doesn't understand? Jesus doesn't get it? Uh, I can't deal with this temptation. He gets it. He understands it. He was tempted in the same way. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. That is being the counselee and pulling up a chair and getting on your knees and talking to the wonderful counselor about what's going on. What does he say? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. You ask God for help. You ask Jesus for help. He's going to help you. You ask him, you have a need, James 1.5. Now if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given. What do you need? Talk to the wonderful counselor about it. Talk to him. He's the one who can actually do something about it. So he, he still counsels today. How? Through supplication, number two, through the scriptures, right? So supplication is how we talk to the wonderful counselor The word of God, the scriptures, is how the wonderful counselor talks to us. I think the only thing worse than a silent counselee is a counselee who never stops talking long enough to listen to the counselor. They they actually dominate the conversation, and I think oftentimes it's an attempt to persuade the counselor to see things from their perspective, right? There's this long explanation of why they find themselves in this situation and why things really the way they are and why it probably will never change. And it's just talk, 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 talk without ever giving the counselor the opportunity to speak. Again, I've done a lot of counseling through the years, and I found counseling someone who refuses to listen is an exercise in futility. In futility. What if I told you that there is a book that has all the answers for life? Every problem you're ever going to have, there is a book. Read this book. Obey this book. Do, do what it says in this book. And I'm telling you what, your problems, you're going to be able to work through those problems. You're, you're going to know the right way. You're going to make it through life. Well, would you be interested in that? Of course. All too often we frantically look around for solutions, but we never turn to the scriptures to find God's wisdom. Is it because we don't want to because we don't want to know what God says about it? Everything we need to know is found in the Word of God. Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, that's what's right. Rebuking, that's what's not right. Correction, that's how to get right. And training instruction, that's how to stay right. Everything you need to know about life, it's right here in this book. Apart from the scriptures, we are left to what seems right to us. So let the scriptures be your guide and your counselor. Be constantly in the word. Find out what God says. What is it that you're dealing with? Go to God Ask the wonderful counselor, show me what you say about this, and he'll show you. Third, he communicates, he still counsels us today through his spirit, through his spirit, the indwelling 
Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about this before he went back to heaven. He said, the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. And so there's prayer, there's the word of God, and then there's a Holy Spirit that lives within us that, that part of his ministry is instructing us, teaching us the right way to go, reminding us of what the scripture says, convicting us uh, of sin in our life. Right? I mean, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the ministry of Jesus counseling us. So how can you recognize the Spirit's counsel? Well, James 3 says this, that his counsel is pure. Okay, what's that tell you? It's that whatever, if the counsel you're hearing in your heart and mind is impure, it's not it's not the counsel of the good counsel, of the wonderful counselor. It's not the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, it's also peaceable. If the counsel that you're hearing in your head doesn't lead to peace, it doesn't bring peace and lead to peace with others, well, again, it's not the counsel of the Holy Spirit. He says also it's gentle, compliant, full of mercy, good fruits, I mean, you can, you can get a gauge on whether or not the voice that you're hearing in your head or your heart is the Holy Spirit or is it me or is it the vo other voices that I'm hearing from the people around me. The Holy Spirit is never going to counsel you to do anything that contradicts the word of God and the will of God for your life. So you must beware about assuming that the voice in your head is the Holy Spirit of God. It'll always line up with the scripture. And that's why you can't just take one without the other. There's supplication. There's the scriptures. There is the spirit. He will use the word and through prayer, he will begin to, to teach you and show you the way that you are to go. And then fourth, uh, it is simply through his servants. God uses people to help people. But I have to make this caveat. You have to beware who you listen to. Psalm 1 gives us this this instruction, blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. We have to be really careful that we don't listen to the counsel and advice of those who don't know God. And there's a lot of that. And there'll be, there's a lot of people who, who <coughs> sometimes they love you dearly and they, in their own mind, they want the best for you, but their counsel is not rooted in the truth, it's not rooted in the counsel of God, it's rooted in worldly philosophy. So you have to be really careful about who you receive your counsel from because not all counsel is good counsel. Godly counsel always conforms to the scripture. I don't care if it's Pastor Dave or who it is, if, if the counselor is telling you something that goes against the word of God, go back to the top of the list. Supplication and scripture, they trump what any servant, what any believer, whatever, whatever, any parent or Christian counselor would say, God's word always trumps whatever some man would say. But a godly counselor will point you to the wisdom of Christ. We find this throughout the scripture. Paul, with the churches, Paul did this. He, he had a heart for them. He was constantly counseling them in the truth of God. And so, listen, when you're struggling with something, Sometimes what we do is we run right to a person. What I would encourage you to do is pray first. Get on your knees and, and talk to the Lord about it. Get into his word and seek what, what God says about it. Before you ever talk to any servant, whenever, before any other uh, a believer, talk to him first. Get into his word. Find out what he says about it. Allow the spirit of God to direct you through what you, ha what you have heard and through your prayer. And then find a, a, a Christian brother or sister and say, hey, look, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I've been praying for. This is what the scripture's telling me. What do you, am I on the right track here? Help me with this. Am I thinking of this out of context? Am I taking these verses out of context? You know, what helped me with this? And, and oftentimes God can use a brother or sister in Christ just to help in those kind of situations. So yeah, Jesus counsels us through supplication, so be prayerful. He's, he counsels us through the scripture, so be a diligent student of the word. He counsels us through his spirit, so be sensitive to his leading. And he counsels us to, by his servants, so be open and listen. All right? Jesus is the wonderful 
counselor. That's why we need to go to him for every problem and concern and circumstance that we face. Can I ask you tonight, is there something that you're dealing with that you need to follow these steps, to take it to him in prayer, go into the word, allow the spirit to guide you and direct you, talk to some Christian brothers or sisters about it, and allow Jesus to counsel you. Here's our, our next steps when we're done. Number one, I will actively allow Jesus to be my counselor through supplication, scripture, the spirit, and his servants. By taking my worries, my problems, my struggles, my questions, by taking it to him. Is there something tonight that you need to take to him? You've been seeking advice, counsel, from all these different places. You've been trying to figure it out in your own head. You're trying to deal with it in your own life. Would you tonight actively go to Jesus? Allow him to counsel you. He's the wonderful counselor. Step number two. I will fully accept whatever Jesus says as his good will for my life, trusting that he knows what is best for me. When you go to Jesus for counsel and you get the answer, then you must trust that it's coming from the one who loves you most and who, and who wants nothing but good for you. And so while it may not set well with what you hoped or want to do, you must trust that the wonderful counselor is leading you in the right way and surrender yourself to doing what Jesus tells you to do. The, the wonderful counselor is not just someone who makes suggestions. Tim Keller wrote this in his book, Hidden Christmas. He said, when you come to Christ, you have to drop your conditions. You have to give up the right to say, if I, I will obey you if. I will do this if. As soon as you say, I will obey if, that is not obedience at all. You're saying, you are my advisor, not my Lord. I'll be happy to take your recommendations, and I might even do some. No, if you want Jesus with you, you have to give up the right to self-determination. Self-denial is an act of rebellion against our late uh, modern culture of self-assertion, but that is what we are called to, nothing less. Nothing less. And so, are you willing to follow Christ without conditions? Listen to his supernatural counsel and let it begin to change you forever like nothing else ever could.